you can open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. As you guys are turning there, I have a question for you. Have you ever gotten a message that changed your life? Maybe right now your mind is going all the way back to middle school, to that crush that you had, and you wrote a love letter to that girl you had a crush on, the check yes or no variety, and you hand that to her, and a couple hours later, you're seeing her walking down the uh, hallway with your note, and is about to hand it to you. And before you read it, you said, this message is going to change everything. <laughs> Others of you, maybe makes you think to when you're 18, you're applying to your dream college, and a couple months later, you see the envelope in the mailbox with a college emblem on it, and before you open it, you're saying, this message is going to change everything. Or maybe for you, when I ask that question, your mind goes back to the time when your wife messaged you and says, there's two little pink lines, and you said, this is going to change everything. <laughs> well, today, our scripture reading is a message that truly changes everything. And before we read it, I truly believe that this is probably one of the most remarkable scriptures that I have ever gotten to study and one of the most remarkable passages that I ever have the privilege of preaching. It is simply amazing. And my heart and my hope is that you would be in awe of God, that you would be awe, in awe of his scriptures, and that the end result after we study these three verses is just simple worship of the one true king. So let's read Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. It says this, In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning we're going to talk about one word. And that word is the word revelation. And while that term might seem like a really theological fancy one, really it's quite simple. The word revelation simply means to reveal. So let's pretend you are at this art gallery and they are about to have a revelation of an art piece. What does it mean to have a revelation of the art piece? It simply means to reveal it. It means to uncover it. It's to take this black cloth, at, tear it off, and you see what's under it. My question I want to ask you this morning is, do you ever feel like God is a God who is hiding under the black cloth. Do you ever feel like our God is a God who doesn't want to reveal himself? Do you ever feel like God is this God who is really hiding from you? And if that is how you feel today, through the scriptures, we're going to realize that that feeling is not the truth at all. 
But we're going to see both in the Old Testament and through Jesus, our God is a God who desperately wants to reveal himself to you. And so let's look at verse 1 here. Hebrews 1, verse 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. In other words, in the past, God has revealed himself to his people through the prophets. And he says he does this in many times and in various ways. And so, before Jesus came, God revealed himself through a prophet. And a prophet is simply a spokesperson for God. So think about this. Let's take Moses, for example. God revealed who he was, his will, and his message to Moses. And then Moses would then, in turn, go to the people of Israel and tell them who God is and his will and his message. Or let's take Ezekiel and Isaiah, for example. God would reveal himself to these prophets, but then the prophets would then again go in turn, go to the people of Israel and reveal who God is, his will, and his message to all the people of Israel. And this is how God revealed himself to the world in the Old Testament. We see God did this at many times and in various ways through many, many prophets. And this leads us to verse 2. There's that word again. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God in the past spoke through the prophets and revealed himself to the prophets. But now God in this final day decided to reveal who he is one last time. But this time, he's going to reveal himself in a much more full way than through the prophets. He is going to reveal who he is, his will and his message, not through a prophet, not through a message, but through Jesus, his son. Now, if you have your Bible today, I want you to circle that word son in verse 2. Our whole passage pivots and centers itself around that word son. Now you're going to notice, after that word son, it just simply describes who the son is. And there's seven characteristics about who the son is. Of course there are seven because Jesus is the perfect and complete revelation of God himself. So for the rest of the time, we're going to look at these seven characteristics of the son, Jesus. And after every description of Jesus, we're going to ask the simple question. What is miraculous about the revelation of Jesus? What is miraculous about God being born in a manger? And so let's go look at this very first characteristic. It tells us that Jesus was appointed heir over all things. We all know what an heir is. An heir is someone who inherits all of their family's estate. This text says that the son, Jesus, the one born in a manger, was appointed heir over all things. That means all the nations are his. All things in the physical realm are his. All things in the spiritual realm are his. And if we ask the question, why does Jesus get this? Why does he get the title as the heir of all things? It's because he isn't simply a prophet, but he is in fact the Son of God. And so for the first time, let's ask the question, 
What is so miraculous about Jesus being born in a manger, the Son of God becoming human? What's well, miraculous? Because this baby who was born in the lowliest of places to the poorest of poor families is the heir of all things. It's truly astonishing. Let's go to number two. The second characteristic. It describes Jesus as the one through whom God made the universe. Many New New Testament authors tell us that Jesus was an agent in creation. And this becomes really clear in 1 Corinthians. Paul makes it quite clear that God the Father is the source of all creation, but it was the Son of God himself who was the agent in creation. And so to steal one helpful analogy, I want you all to pretend that you are building your dream home. As you're building your dream home, you are the source of its creation. Meaning you provide the land that the house is going to be built upon. You provide the money for your home to be built. You're providing the design and the the appliances and all the resources needed to build the home. You are the source of its creation, but you aren't the construction agent doing the creation. That's the construction workers. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians indicates that God the Father in that same way is the source of all creation, but Jesus was actually the agent in creation. So it's Jesus' fingerprints, the Son of God, whose fingerprints are all over the created universe. Check out this picture. What you're looking at is a picture of what is called the Pillars of Creation. It's located, what is it? I wrote it down somewhere. 38,000 trillion miles away. So it would take you 500 trillion years to get to this place if you went 70 miles an hour. Very, very far away. But this was taken with a James Webb telescope in the last year or two. And what you're looking at is a collection of stardust and gases, the little red glowing thing uh, in this corner. That is a baby star being formed. And as we look at this, it's the son of God's fingerprints who are all over it. Check out this picture. Let's get a little closer to home. What you're looking at is DNA. DNA, it's the most dense information storage mechanism in the universe. You can take DNA the volume size of a pinhead, and it contains more information than a pile of books stacked to the moon and back 500 times. It's incredible. And think about your own body. All of our lives began with a fertilized egg in your mother's womb, little zygote. Yet, that little zygote knows how to multiply cells and develop cells. And pretty soon you have a little fetus with a heartbeat. And then pretty soon you have a baby. And pretty soon you have a full-grown human that has a hundred trillion cells. with thousands of different types of cells that make up all these different systems in our body. Our neurological system. Our cardiovascular system. Our skeletal system. we got to ask the question... How does a little zygote know how to reproduce cells in order to build the body? Well, it's because the creator has encoded a code 
an instruction manual in our DNA. And so people of God, be amazed because our scriptures are telling us that it's the son of God's fingerprints who are all over the biggest of big and the smallest of small. So let's ask the question again. Why is the birth of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, a miracle? It's because the agent of creation steps down into his creation. As we get to the third characteristic about Jesus, it says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And that word radiance, it just refers to intense brightness. And the word glory, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, it talks about the manifestation of God's presence. So where God's presence was in the tabernacle, there was the glory of God that was shining. What this text is telling us is Jesus is actually the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the intense brightness of God himself. And this truth is actually reiterated in the fourth characteristic about Jesus. It says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and he's the exact representation of his being. The Greek word for representation there, it's character. It's where we get our word character from. We all know what that means. Jesus is the exact character of God the Father himself. I like the ESV's interpretation uh, or translation. It said, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And again, people all the time are asking the question, I wonder what God is like. I'm so curious, what is God like? But we don't have to wonder anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. What does Jesus say in John 14? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul, in Colossians 1.15, he describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. So if you want a visible understanding, a visible representation of our invisible God look no further than the Son, Jesus. What do we say this time of year? We just sang about it this morning. Emmanuel. It's God with us. And I think this truth here changes things for us in this room, doesn't it? You see, our God is not a God who is hiding under a black cloth. He's not trying to hide himself from you. Our God is a God who wants to be known so much that he sent Jesus, the exact representation of his being, to show you who God is. And so if you're in this place and you don't know who God is, again, look no further than Jesus. Let us be a people who open up the books of Matthew Mark, Luke, and John. Let's read about the life of Jesus because Jesus is the representation of God. He is the one true God. Let's go to the fifth description of Jesus. It says, Jesus is the one who's sustaining all things by his powerful word. So not only did the Son of God create all things, but now he's sustaining 
all things by his powerful word. So it's the Son of God who is upholding the universe. It's the Son of God who is bringing the, the created order to its desired end in the book of Revelation. And so again, uh, if we continue this construction analogy, the Son of God, Jesus, isn't simply the construction agent doing the creation, but he's sustaining all things in creation. So for a fifth time, let's ask the question, why is the birth of Jesus, the revelation of God, a miracle? It's because this little baby in a manger is the one who's actually sustaining all things in the universe. Praise be to God. Sixth description. Jesus is described as the one whom provided purification for sins. So it's through this clause that we are reminded of our sin problem. Sin separates us from the one true God. Sin condemns us before the one true God. And if we were to go 10 chapters uh, past this, into Hebrews chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, but it describes how the sin problem was handled before Jesus Christ came into the world. And it, here's what it says. It says that day after day, the priest stands. Emphasis on standing. The priest stands and performs and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And so this verse in Hebrews 10 is describing the Levitical sacrificial system. And again, these priests would stand there and offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And the author of Hebrews makes it clear that this, uh, this sacrifice could never take away our sins. In the book of Leviticus, it talks about how our sins would be atoned for through these sacrifices, through these animal sacrifices. And the word atone simply means covering. And so the Levitical sacrificial system, it was incomplete, it was imperfect because the blood, it would atone, it would cover over sin, but it wouldn't get rid of the sin. It wouldn't take away the sin. So let me explain it this way. Let's pretend that yesterday I was running late for a wedding. And I fly in the driveway, I'm running late, I know I got to get a change of clothes to go to this wedding. And so I throw on a dress shirt, some dress pants, I'm ready to go. But then, like most weddings, like, uh-oh, I'm going to be starving by the time the reception starts. So what do I do? I'm going to make a quick sandwich before I uh, leave for this wedding. You guys know where the story's going. I make my sandwich, and I quick eat it before I run out the door. And as I'm eating it, the mustard stains my shirt. Oh. <laughs> so... I don't have time to get the stain stick remover. I don't have time to iron out a new shirt. So I'm going to go back into my closet and grab a sport coat. The sport coat's going to cover over my stain. It's not going to get rid of it, but it's going to be good enough to go to the wedding. Nobody is going to know that I have a stain on my shirt underneath. That's kind of what the Levitical system was like. 
The sacrifice is covered, it atoned for them, but it never took away the sins, according to Hebrews 10, verse 11. And by no means am I bashing the Old Testament law. Let's not forget, our God is the God who commanded these sacrifices. These sacrifices were good, these sacrifices were needed, but these sacrifices were always a foreshadowing of something much better to come. But people of God, today, we can rejoice because something much better has come. And his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, born in a manger, as our kids told us and then Donald prayed about, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood. But friends, the blood of this sacrifice didn't just cover our sins, but it cleanses us of our sins. Notice the word, provided, past tense. It's done. Purification, that's a cleansing word. And as we think about this, this too is a game changer for us. Not only can we know who God is because he revealed himself to us in Christ, but it's this baby who was born in the manger that actually allows us to draw near to God. And if you have stumbled into this place and have not come near to God through Jesus, may today you trust in the blood of Jesus and may you draw near to God himself. Lastly, let's go to the seventh description of Jesus. It says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This one might not seem all that significant to you, but this verse tells us two really, really critical details. Let's go back to the Levitical uh, sacrificial system. I told you to notice the Levitical priests stood. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. There were no chairs in the temple. Why? It's because the priest's job was never done. They never could sit down because they had to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Yet when this great high priest, Jesus, was on the cross and gave his sacrifice of his life, he said, it is finished. What did he do after that? He ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Jesus sat down indicating the sacrificial system is done. I have offered the complete, the perfect, the final solution to the sin problem. Again, praise be to God. Amen. And lastly, Notice Jesus is sitting. What do kings do? They sit. They sit on their throne and rule over the created order. And guess what? This king is doing the same thing. He is at the right hand of God, reigning over all of the universe. So for the final time, let's ask the question again. Why is the birth of Jesus miraculous? It's because Jesus Christ this little baby, would go to give his life, but then he would be raised to new life. And as I speak right now, he is sitting at the right hand of God, reigning over the created order. Amen. 
I hope through these three short verses, you're truly in awe of God's word and that you are truly in awe of God himself. Who is the son? He's the heir of all things. He's the agent of creation. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being. He's sustaining all things. He's the one who provided purification for all of our sins. And right now, he's reigning over the universe. In Orchard Hill, I think the only proper response to these truths is worship. It's that we get down on our knees in worship the King of Kings with our lives. Let us, maybe you can't physically get on your knees, but let that be the posture of your heart. Humble submission, giving your allegiance and devotion to Jesus Christ alone. Because if these seven descriptions of Jesus are true, again, that is the only proper response. We thought a fitting way to close this message would be with worship. And so at this time, Wendy and the team, come on up. We're going to sing one final song, and it's during this song that I hope the words that come out of your mouth are truly representative of the posture of your heart. Because yes, our words are super important. But if our lives don't match what our words are saying, I don't think it matters much. And so again, let us bow down before King Jesus and let us worship Jesus. And maybe during this time as we sing, you can uh, meditate on one of those seven descriptions of Jesus, but let us give him all the praise that he alone deserves. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We stand in awe that you are a God who reveals yourself to us through Jesus. We're in awe of who Jesus is, the humility that Jesus has to step down off the throne in heaven, to come in the form of a baby and live an uncomfortable life here on earth, being ridiculed. But God, we see who you are. We know who you are. And out of that truth, God, we are here to give you the worship 